The scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 2. You can find it printed on page 10 of your worship folder. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Between the words that are spoken and the words that are heard, may the Spirit of God be present. Amen. Trouble in paradise. I thought of that phrase this week when I heard a story that went viral. A woman was hiking in the beautiful mountains of British Columbia, idyllic setting a day, when all of a sudden she came upon a fully grown adult cougar. She had her phone out filming the beauty, and she swung it over to the cougar that was eyeing her. And she filmed the whole thing as the cougar spotted, began to move right up to where it began to pounce. I don't know if you saw it. But she did what all of us 
who've trained in what to do when an animal approaches you did. She opened iTunes and began to play at full blast Metallica's Don't Tread on Me. Boom, boom, boom. Don't tread on me. Don't tread on me. Which terrified the cougar and it ran away. And she captured the whole thing. She actually got a, she got a selfie from uh, James Hetfield, uh, the lead singer of Metallica, and had her, had her week of fame. Well, this, this story we've just listened to from Genesis 2, it's kind of one of those. It's paradise, then there's a crisis, sort of the fly in the ointment, the monkey in the wrench, and then there's a really good turnaround. And we're going to look at this as part of this series of talks that are exploring the idea of spiritual friendship, the idea of that spirituality really is about friendship with God, but also that friendship extending into the place where we find ourselves, our city, and also those who are around us, our neighbors. Um, The crisis itself, though, is in that moment in verse 18 where it says, it is not good. If you read chapter 1, it's, it's good, good. Everything's good. It's really good. But then you get to this place and it says, it is not good for the human to be alone. I remember studying this text in, a, in an intermediate Hebrew course over 30 years ago. My professor, Professor Bruce Walkie, who's still alive, uh, he was from New Jersey. And I still remember him lecturing. We were talking about this Hebrew expression. Not good. Low tov. Low tov, as he would say it. Not good. And he said it only occurs twice in the Hebrew Bible. It's a very strong construction. Not good. It's like my wife Elaine when she cooks liver. Low tov. Low tov. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, now, I'm sure as you're listening to this story, there's a side of you that's saying, wow, I haven't heard that in a long time. What what kind of story is this? You know, it's interesting. Modern people come across a concept like myth, and we immediately are triggered to say, well, that's just not, that means it's not true. Ancient people, actually, myth is how they tell their truest stories. Myth is how you actually, you're getting to the real core of answering the questions of who are we really? And this is at the very beginning of the Torah, these first five books of the Bible that are telling their core identity story. The best we know from scholarship is that the the text you have as Genesis there comes from around the 6th century before the time of Christ. And it's interestingly, it's a composite of a collage of different literary forms that have been pulled together. Uh, Both during the exile, if you know kind of the story of Israel and Judah and the kingdoms and the exile that took place, it's actually when they're away in the exile that the priests begin to pull some of these older sources together and they develop some new sources and they start to kind of weave it together. And what you get in Genesis 1 and 2, interestingly, is more like, I honor my wife, the quilter, in this. It's like a quilt, where you basically have two distinct patches 
that sit side by side. Two just very different, but I would say complementary, creation accounts. In Genesis 1, uh, you, uh, you get Elohim, the God, who's over seven days, six days and one day of rest, creates by speaking from a great distance. But then here in Genesis 2, you have a creation account that occurs in one day in which God actually is a crafter, actually walking around getting the hands dirty, right? You know, playing in the dirt and blowing on it. It's, it's a different and yet complementary picture. If you were to say, what kind of story is this? I would say this is actually a parable of Israel. If you think of these five books, and it really complements our spirituality theme. If you think of these five books, they're basically the story of God, a people, and the place they're in. The three friendships. <laughs> um, God, the place they're in, and the people who are there. And particularly the crisis that comes because of exile. If you think of it, Adam really is Israel. Um, they are meant to be in their land and to honor God's ways in that land and flourish in that land. But as their prophets say, they don't honor those ways and they find themselves cast out of that garden where there's death. And really the whole first five books are an ex exploration of what happens when those friendships begin to decay. And the written Hebrew Bible that we have really comes out of that crisis of the exile. It's when basically they are back, returned from exile, a, a fragment of themselves, trying to say, where are all these promises of God that you begin to see this literary artistry explode that we know as the Hebrew Bible? So you actually have an older quilt patch here in Genesis 2. It's simpler. And uh, I really love Genesis 2 particularly. So you have the first patch where Elohim creates. You have the second patch where now God is called by a different name, Elohim Yahweh. The Lord God is the one who creates the human. And what does God do? The Lord God puts them, in a, uh, puts them down in a garden that grows, you know, in a day. Grows the garden, puts them in it, and basically puts them to work. Uh, it basically says he creates the Adam, the human, that's what Adam means, from the Adama, the soil, it's a pun, the human from the humus, right? Uh, forms him, puts him in the garden, and says, till it and keep it. Notice how Genesis 1, which is a more developed kind of story, it makes it more florid. You know, fill the earth, subdue it, uh, and bring dominion over all the creatures. Here it's just like, farm the garden, <laughs> right? Toil, you know, uh, take care of the garden. And it's there that you hear, Lotov, not good. I'm going to give you a helper. Now, I know immediately you think, woman, helper, give me a break. <laughs> all right, understand, this is not a diminutive term. This word for helper is actually a word that's often used to describe Yahweh, to describe God, usually in military contexts, you know, like Gandalf at Helm's Deep. It's God the deliverer. Uh, it's, it's God, the one who is coming in, uh, the one who comes in as a sustainer with strength alongside, right? Um, 
But then it kind of turns comic. They need a they need a mighty deliverer and sustainer. Bring me an animal. <laughs> and so animals start to come by, and you've got this sort of naming of the animals and and the realization of, wow, that none of this is really gonna work. We're gonna have to go to a different plan. And so deep sleep. And then we see that out of the side of the human, another human is formed. And then this is good. This idea of difference and complementarity. Um, now, I'm in a sidebar, need a sidebar here, because I think any time now that we talk about sex or gender, right, uh, it, we, we realize we're talking about a complex subject that we're still learning a lot about. What I want to say is, in the same way that we cannot pin God down to the binaries of male and female, uh, we need to say the same about human beings as well. Science shows us that while most of us appear to be male or female, actually, we are complex mosaics of male and female characteristics on a spectrum. And when you read ancient sources like this, even though you may have had religious people weaponize them against you, know this, they're not exhaustive sources, right? Uh, Genesis 1 talks about creation, but it doesn't mention amphibians. <laughs> it doesn't mention uh, birds that can't fly. And I'm here to tell you, penguins are awesome. They're not an abomination. <laughs> There's just more to the story. <laughs> Right? So I just think it's important that when we talk about the complexity of who we are and understand ourselves to be in terms of sex or gender, there's always more to God's world. And that's, that's a really good thing. We're all image bearers. And the point here is not to weaponize that text against a precious human being. The point here is to delight in the fact that God knew we needed diversity. And you see that in the beauty of that first poem. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's a celebration, really, of relationship and a delight in relationship. Now, I want to try to quickly give a couple of perspectives on this beautiful ancient story uh, for our thinking about the three friendships, friendships with God, the place, our city, and with one another. Um, the first is this, it's a mystical perspective. Um, that is to say, when we say it's not good to be alone, right, part of the mystery of that, the mystical spiritual dimension of that is, part of what that means is while it is possible, and we talk about the idea of actually pursuing God in prayer, uh, personally having a relationship with God and experiencing, cultivating God's presence in your life, at the same time, we would say, yet with Jesus, Jesus says, whenever two or three gather in my name, I will be there. Which is a way of saying that I'm present in a way with two or three that's different than just you. There's a dimension of me that you can only get through knowing me through other people. That is, your spirituality is always going to be limited unless you are connected in spiritual friendships with other people. Well, I, I love this story from uh, 
C.S. Lewis. When I was younger, I read a lot of C.S. Lewis. And uh, if you know anything about his biography, he he, uh, was friends with the literary circle. They call themselves the Inkling. And he was particularly close to two guys, Charles Williams and J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings. And they would go to this pub in Oxford. Some of you have probably been there. I've been there on a pilgrimage called The Eagle and Child, The Burden Baby. They would gather there regularly, and they did for years, and then Charles Williams died. And Lewis writes about this, that he thought, well, you know, at least maybe now I'll get more of Tolkien than I used to now that it's not just me and Charles Williams and Tolkien. And then he said this, he said, I realized, though, that he actually got less of Tolkien. He said, I'll never get out of Tolkien the kind of laugh that only a Charles joke could get. He had actually lost a part of Charles Williams. Uh, I mean, sorry, he he had lost uh, a part of Charles Williams that only Tolkien could bring out. So the idea here is that friendship with God can really never flourish unless we experience it in others. Friendship with God uh, is only as good as the spiritual community that we cultivate. One final perspective. That's the mystical. The other is to say that this is actually a story about mission. It's a missional perspective. In the ancient Near East, when you hear about loneliness, a text that says it's not good for the human to be alone, this is not a Hank Williams song. All right? It's not talking about being so lonesome he could cry. That's a real issue. It's a real problem. That's just not what Genesis 2 is actually talking about, right? The loneliness here has to do with not being able to fulfill the task for which the human has been made. The human needs help uh, or creation will not be good. This is about practicalities in life in the garden. Let me tell you about two new things going on in my house. Uh, one is, uh, we just, my wife and I, we just put in some plantings in the front of our house, which is very happy about. It just kind of transforms the look of the place. And the other thing is, we have a new cat. Uh, it belongs to one of our sons who's come to live with us. His name is Frazier. He is, I just want to tell you this, he is a smart cat, and he is a good cat. He is a good cat. And I tell him this. Every day, and my wife will attest in creative songs that everyone loves to hear. I have fallen in love with this cat, but I'm going to just, just between you and me, when we put these plantings in, Frazier, useless, completely useless, did not help us at all. The only way those plantings could flourish was if Scott Sherman and Catherine Sherman hired some gardeners to put those plantings in <laughs> that we would continue, right? Right? It's, 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 it's the simple point that mission requires partnership and friendship or is low tov. What is the garden for us? Well, the, th- the three friendships says it all. It's the place we find ourselves in. It's our community, it's where you work, it's your family, it's a city you live in. And frankly, it's a global garden, (laughs) it's a big garden. We read Genesis 2 in light of the story of Jesus. 
Jesus is the one who shows a God who sees and loves the garden, and though it is infested with weeds, comes to it to bring out its true life and flourishing. Uh, Leslie Newbigin, someone I commend to you as a great thinker and Christian, put it this way. He said that basically to follow Jesus is to see your life as a sign and agent of the justice of God in all human affairs. That's really what we're pursuing. We want to see the garden flourish, and we do that in partnership. James Cone, another great theologian I commend to you. Uh, James Cone, kind of the father of black liberation theology, puts this so beautifully. He says, human beings are made for each other, and no people can realize their full humanity except as they participate in its realization for others. Let me ask you, do you ever uh, have that desire in you to really somehow be part of making this a better world? Do you ever really wish you had some concrete way to really, really be making things better, this mess we find ourselves in? And yet, what do we do? For some of us, we feel isolated, I think, just clicking and liking our way to justice. (laughs) Hear these words. It's not good to be alone. The invitation of Genesis 2, the invitation to follow Jesus, is an invitation to connect into the community, the insights, partnership, and resources of other people. Let me close with this. Do you know who figured this out? I mean, really figured this out a long time ago. His name was Francis. Throughout the world, his feast day was celebrated on Friday. St. Francis, you've heard of him, surely. San Francisco, he's also called. Uh, Francis was born into wealth and privileged, privilege, but he began to experience friendship with God, and he realized that that friendship was going to draw him into deeper and different friendships. So he began to move dramatically toward the excluded, toward the marginalized, toward where the pain was. And it was only then that he began to see the things he couldn't otherwise see and do the things he could have never dreamed. It was in those friendships and in those places that Jesus was there and it was good. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that we do not live in an abandoned garden, but in a place and among people whom you deeply love. Holy friend, open to us the gift of friendships, partnerships that stretch us, deepen us, and lead us to your blessed and holy purposes for our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.